Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. Today, we're continuing our series called Infinitely More. We're uncovering the ways that God has infinitely more for us than we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Today, we're going to deep dive into one of Jesus' most famous teachings and discover in what ways he explained what following him should look like. Let's get right to today's message. So here's Pastor Nicole. One of the most recognizable buildings in the world is in Italy, and it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now that's Pisa, not pizza, for those of you that are working on your quarantine 15 weight. But this tower is 183 feet tall, and it has close to 300 steps if you want to make it all the way to the top. This freestanding bell tower is known worldwide because it leans four degrees. It is not straight up and down. It leans four degrees. In fact, at one point in history, it leaned six degrees. And so this this building is famous for the fact that it's leaning, it's sinking. Um, But the building wasn't always leaning. The tower uh, was built in the 12th century, and it began to sink during construction. In fact, the city of Pisa actually is Greek for the word marshy land. But those architects, they didn't take that literally enough. In fact, to this day, there is debate about who actually built the Tower of Pisa because there there are a few architects that history suspects, but none will take credit for this failed building project. When the building started to lean during construction, they tried to fix it, they tried to improvise, but all of their efforts seemed to fall short. And unsure of what to do next, the builders actually halted construction for almost a century. They just left it unbuilt, unknowing what to do. And since the original structure was created, numerous efforts have been made to restore the tower to its vertical intended orientation, or at least keep it from falling over. But most of these efforts failed, and actually some of them worsened the problem. (laughs) It made the tilt actually worse. Interestingly enough, after all those years of failed attempts, in February of 1964, the government of Italy uh, requested aid in preventing the toppling of the tower. And it was, however, considered really important that they fix it but also keep the tilt because due to the role of tourism that it actually played, people from all over the world were fascinated to come see this building that actually was tilted and not vertically straight up and down. And that's what actually brought them to this small city in Italy. So I'm in week three of this series and we're calling this series Infinitely More. And why I tell you this story about the Leaning Tower of Pisa is because today I want to talk about Jesus and how he came to lay a strong foundation for us, something that the Tower of Pisa does not have and didn't understand at that time. But through teaching and through personal encounters, Jesus lays the foundation upon which a lifestyle of infinitely more can be built. And so we're going to talk today about our foundation spiritually, and about what Jesus did to create uh, this foundation for us. So our key theme verse that we've been talking through all of this series, I hope you're working on memorizing it. I hope you're working on meditating on it throughout the week. Um, I want to read it out loud together. So wherever you are, would you just join me in reading this verse out loud today? It's Ephesians 3.20 from the New Living Translation. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 
So over the last two weeks, we have discovered that this life of infinitely more that God has prepared for us and he's calling us to do, he's calling ordinary people like you and like me uh, to a life beyond anything we might ever ask or think. So as we continue to follow this journey of Jesus, he will teach us how to live this life that we are being called to live. And so today, like I mentioned, I want to focus on how Jesus lays the foundation for a spiritually strong and blessed life. Now, our spiritual lives, they don't have to lean four degrees off kilter like the Tower of Pisa. We can stay strong all of our days if we have the right foundation. And so when Jesus is starting his, his ministry he has about a three and a half year ministry. And when he's beginning it, uh, the crowds are starting to follow him around. They're realizing uh, that this, there's something different about him. He has influence. And so these crowds are starting to follow him around. And he hikes to an unnamed mountainside and he begins to teach them. Now, this is the most well-known teaching of Jesus' ministry. It's the longest teaching we see in the scripture. And it is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, he begins his teaching uh, in the Sermon on the Mount with something we call the Beatitudes, which is a list of blessings that follow a very specific way of living and thinking. And the Beatitudes, they're such an important moment because what we see here is Jesus is both our teacher and our healer. Jesus is both our teacher and our healer. We tend as Christ followers uh, often to kind of land in one camp or the other. Maybe we're more comfortable uh, with Jesus as our teacher, so we, we're more comfortable with that, or maybe we're more comfortable with Jesus as our healer, as our miracle worker, but we tend to, to kind of lean toward one camp or the other. Some traditions of Christianity are more focused on the teaching side of Jesus. Um, they admire him for his ethical and sound teaching, just like the Sermon on the Mount. They want to focus deeply on the words of Jesus, and maybe they're, they really like liturgy or they, the intellectual side of faith, the um, debating about things or thinking through all of the, the arguments that we could have to, to really prove our faith. Um, choices equal consequences. Things are very literal, and what, which all of this is very incredible. It's very solid. It's very important perspective to consider. Um, but what you can't have is the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount without acknowledging the Jesus of miracles. You you can't say, uh, okay, Jesus who cleansed the leper healed the centurion's servant, stilled the storm, and cast out the demons, we can't say that he is not a God of miracles. He's only a God of intellect or teaching. In fact, the same writers give us both sides of Jesus. These writers of the gospel saw the fullness of who Jesus is. He is a miracle worker. He is a way maker. He defies the natural. He does what logic cannot explain. Is there anyone out there shouting amen at their TV right now? Because this is what we're seeing here is we cannot judge say that Jesus is our teacher. He's not just our teacher. He's also our healer. Now, on the other hand, for some, the opposite temptation may overcome them. Let's just have a little bit of real talk here. We're the Pentecostals, okay? We have this reputation sometimes, but Jesus is not just a genie in a bottle who comes to do miracles. He is not spooky. He is not overly impractical. He is the one who says in Matthew 5, listen, don't swear. Don't return evil to evil. Love your enemy. Don't lust. He, he radically intrudes on our personal lifestyle. And he calls us to a higher standard that requires our mind to make obedient decisions. 
And so it's really important for us not to just abandon all of Jesus' teaching and saying that only his miracles are important. Because the truth is, the power moments, the miracle moments are amazing. They're incredible. We should anticipate them. We should believe for them. But we should do that while we learn and transform our minds in the teaching of Jesus. Do you see the balance? Jesus is bringing this balance here. He is showing us that he is not just our teacher or just our healer. He is all of that and so, so much more. So the one who is teaching the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord who asks us to depend on his power, his personal work, and his power inseparable from his teaching. He is both our teacher and our healer. So let's read a portion of this famous sermon from Matthew 5, 3 through 9. Uh, these are what some of what the Bible calls the Beatitudes. I'm going to read them to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So Jesus continues. He actually goes uh, all the way through Matthew 5 into Matthew 7. And I want to encourage you to read those chapters this week. Um, he covers so many practical, real-world issues from judging others to prayer to worry to divorce. He, he is laying out a rubric for Christian living. He is building us a foundation to set our faith upon in these scriptures. And so the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount not only give us a rubric for a foundation, but they serve as two other important things as well. First, the Sermon on the Mount is an announcement. It's an announcement to the followers of Christ. Jesus is saying, look, the power of the kingdom of God is in you. Pay attention. Take heed. Watch this. You can't fully understand it yet or explain it yet, but you will inherit the kingdom of God someday in all of its fullness. But until then, you're blessed. You're fortunate. You carry around the glory of God in your bones, a glimpse of what it is to come for those who believe. And, and you know, he starts with that first, that first beatitude. If you are poor in spirit, if you are hungry for God, you will inherit the kingdom of God. This is Jesus announcing to the believers, there is more inside of you. The kingdom of God is more to offer you than you can ever ask, dream, or imagine. And then this moment in scripture it also contains a very implicit invitation, an invitation to become this kind of person that Jesus is describing. You know, there was the disciples, but then the scripture says there were these crowds and they were standing behind the disciples and in these crowds of people, they were intrigued. They were curious. What would it be like to live like Jesus is describing? Is that even possible? How does that look? And, and Jesus's words stir up spiritual curiosity. The people who did not trust in Jesus yet were watching as he was promising blessings of eternal life and comfort and hope and peace and a life that was very different than what you lived void of God. So don't ever underestimate the powerful words of Jesus. This is why it's so important to invite your friends and your family and your coworkers to church to hear the word of God. It's important to share your faith with others in all kinds of contexts, to engage in conversation with the scriptures, because here's the deal. Truth stirs up spiritual curiosity. Truth stirs up spiritual curiosity. It stirs the waters. It pierces the heart. And that's what we see happening here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Now, Matthew 5 through 7, this impactful sermon that Jesus preached um, serves as a foundation of Christian living. Even today, it serves as an announcement, as an announcement to us who are believers in, in Christ. And it serves as an invitation to those who aren't believers in Christ all at the same time. Jesus is so brilliant with the things that he shares and the way that he frames everything. But perhaps most importantly, this scripture is an opportunity for transformation. This scripture is an opportunity for all of us for transformation. By the power and the mercy of God, we are at an intersection for change. And we look at our lives and the lives that, that he is describing, the life he is describing that, that brings blessing and, and allows God to bless you and, and opens doors for God's blessing. And we can align our hearts and our lives to that. And we can see transformation of who we are and who we're becoming. So at the end of Matthew 7, uh, Jesus closes the sermon with this parable. So he, he does his whole sermon, and here's, this is his sermon closer, okay? Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and it reads this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So the concept of this parable that, that Jesus tells in his closing thoughts of the sermon it is pretty easy to understand, right? Even me, I have zero construction skills. Uh, I, I can interpret this, right? Rock, good. Sand, bad. Okay, these are rocks, sturdy, hard, unmoving. Sand, shifting, flaky, unstable. Pick the rock. It's almost too simple, right? It's almost too simple what he's trying to say. We make choices. Bad choices put us in bad spots. Poor decisions lead us to consequences of those decisions. We get hurt. We, we go broke. We burn bridges. With every poor decision, we shovel uh, sand underneath our lives. The wise moves, the investments that we make in the right things, this serve as the rock, right? The friendships we choose to nurture, the, the places we hang out, the boundaries we set for ourselves physically, the stability we bring into the future. These are all good decisions, right? They create good situations for us. It, it's, it's such a, um, a co consequence and choice thing. It, it's almost easy to understand. But here's the part of the parable that I want you to really focus on today, the part of the parable that I believe is a little deeper and a little more noteworthy, and that's this. The storm reveals what foundation we have built. That the storm is what actually defines us. The storm is what tells us if we're wise or foolish. And to be honest, there's really no telling before the storm. You can fool a lot of people. I think you can even fool yourself. You may act, you may look, you may dress like a wise man, but be shoveling sand underneath your house nonstop. But when the storm comes, your cover is blown. So when you lose your job because of a global pandemic, or, or when you find out that the pain in your back is actually cancer, or when your child tells you they don't believe in God anymore, or when your marriage is hanging on like a thread, that's when you find out what kind of foundation you've been building. And in this parable, it's interesting to me, it's fascinating to me, both the wise and the foolish builder face the storm. 
And I think that's so important to see here because the wise man, just by making good choices, didn't get to opt out of the storm. Just by making good choices. So, so here's, here's an example. You may have never smoked a cigarette in your life, never been exposed to tobacco, but you know what? You could still get lung cancer. You, you may be completely pure before you get married, saving yourself for your spouse, but still not be able to conceive a child. I don't get it. I don't like it. But it's this thing that we call life. And you know what? We can't avoid the storm. Everyone will face them. Everyone will be subject to some kind of trial, to some kind of storm, without exception. So if we know that, if we know that's imminent, if we know that that will happen to us, how do we prepare? What do we do? And this is exactly what Jesus is answering. This is the question that he is answering in the scripture. He says, listen, you build your house on a rock. And that rock is the person of Jesus Christ. This is how you, you go through the storm. You know, there's this ancient building tool that we actually still use today called a plumb line. Uh, it's a rope with a weight attached to that rope, and it determines the perfect line, vertical. And, and you know what? If the architects in Pisa used this tool, they would have had a better tower. <laughs> and we wouldn't be talking about it all these years later. But there's, it's, it's called a plumb line. And God uses the plumb line to communicate his plans to some really great prophets in the scripture. I want to take us there today. And Amos, the scripture reads this. This is Amos 7, 7 through 8. Uh, then he, talking about God, showed me another vision. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. And he was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And the Lord replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sins. And so what you have to realize about this illustration was it was given over 2,000 years ago, but yet there is probably not a job site anywhere in the world that does not utilize the concept of this plumb line in some form or fashion. So just as a builder would risk a faulty foundation or a crooked wall or an unlevel home if they didn't use a plumb line, God is saying to Amos, listen, you are going to risk Israel's future. If you do not align with the heart of God, if you do not align with your thoughts and your attitudes to the heart of God, Israel's future is actually at stake. Now, Isaiah, another prophet, receives a similar message. Isaiah 28, 17. It says, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. So much like the hanging plumb line showing a builder the exact line to follow, God is declaring that there is only one way to follow him. There is one set of boundaries for a relationship to be built on, and there is a foundation that can be built upon the rock. And he's showing us this over and over. So on the mountainside with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus draws this line for us. He shows us the plumb line. He says, this is what you were, but here is what you can become. And he shares the Beatitudes and the parables, and he explains that you can stay on course, that you can stay in alignment with Jesus. And Jesus' desire is for us to stay connected to the plumb line, to stay grounded on the rock. But, you know, the enemy wants to lure us away. I thought for so long that Satan wanted to ruin my finances and destroy my marriage and implode my ministry but the longer I've been serving God, the more I understand that if the enemy can just get me out of alignment with the will of God, the rest of that will happen all on its own. 
He won't even have to work on that. But when you are not holding to the line that God has drawn for us, you risk your life falling apart and the things you care about the most coming out crooked. And so Jesus is there and he's saying, listen, in order to stay in alignment with God and to build a foundation on the rock, we can respond the way the Beatitudes teach us. When you are tempted to get angry and speak evil against someone, when, when you're frustrated about yet another political post on Facebook or something that you totally disagree with, we can remind ourselves, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When we experience loss in our life and we're tempted to isolate and, and turn away from God, we need to remind ourselves what the Beatitudes say. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God is with us in those moments. He hasn't abandoned us. He is closer than ever. When your family or your coworker doesn't understand why you decided to follow Christ, or maybe old friends uh, bring up the past or, or, or tell you that you can't change or you can't be anything different, we need to remind ourselves, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The wise builder built his house on a rock, and the foolish one built his on the sand. But when the storm came, their foundations were exposed. And we are better prepared for what life will throw at us if we diligently seek what God says to our life and in our life. And obedience is the key to a durable life. Without that obedience, without aligning to the word of God, we're fragile. We can break easily. The scripture says that uh, the wind can blow and we can fall over. And that's how I feel some days. That's how we, we can feel some days. But the, the Holy Spirit of God says, listen, I can make your life sturdy and steady and strong so that when the storm comes, and it will, that you will be able to stand strong on the foundation of Jesus. So what part of your life is God wanting to work on? What part of your life is God wanting to work on? A, a prayer that we could never wear out is this. God, here's my life. What part of it do you want to refine? <laughs> What part of it, what part needs a little bit of work? I'm up for the challenge. I'm not going to lock any closet. I'm not going to tell you I'll work on everything but that. God, here's my whole life. Every part of it, every piece of it. Lord, what do you want me to work on? You know, Jesus didn't come to make our lives easy, but he did come to make them great. He came to make them rich and full and redeemed. And he came so that when the storm of life prevailed, that we could stand strong with our heads high and we could avoid the crash. So just to close today, one more important thought I want to share with you. I think what I find the most beautiful in this parable is we encounter a God that desires to protect us from the storm. We encounter a God that gives us a game plan. We encounter a God that gives us boundaries and gates and expectations in, in place to protect us. He wants us to stand firm. He is our biggest cheerleader. He is rooting us on the hardest and the loudest. He wants us to stand firm that when the rains come and the streams rise and the storm beats on the house, that we are able to come out on the other side blessed and successful and joyful and peaceful and full of all the things that God provides for us. God desires to protect us from the disaster of the storm. And he is so good to us. And I love how he is showing us, listen, I know this is going to come. So here's a plan. Here's what you need. And it's out of his great love for us. It's out of his great passion and, and compassion for us. So as a response today, 
I want you to take a few minutes and talk with the people you watched with today, or maybe you want to text a friend or message someone and and just discuss a few of these questions. I really um, want us to go deeper. I want us to uh, be challenged. Uh, Maybe you don't talk about your faith very much with even the people that live in your house, but I want you to engage in this right now. Stretch yourself a little bit. And and here's the three questions I want you to, uh, to talk about today. Number one, Read all of the Beatitudes. Take a few moments and read all of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and discuss which is the most encouraging and which is the most challenging. Number two, what storm do you feel like you're facing right now? And how is the storm revealing your foundation? How is that storm revealing your foundation? And number three, how does it make you feel about God that he wants to protect us from the storm? How does it make you feel? So will you pray with me as we close today's message? Father God, I thank you that you want us to build our lives on you, on your foundation. And we ask that you would show us where there are cracks or weaknesses so that we can shore up our foundation. God, we want to be ready for the storm. And we pray that you would help us walk in alignment with you. We pray that you would help us see the plumb line and and adjust our lives to walk in alignment with you. I pray you would forgive us for the ways we've strayed. I pray you would forgive us for the the promises we've made to you that we've broken. I, I pray you would forgive us for even the things we've done that have offended you that we didn't even realize, God, that you would show us, that you would reveal us. We want to trust you more every day. And we want to be like the wise builder in this passage, Lord God, so that when the, when the storm comes, we end up standing strong in our faith, God. I thank you that you desire so much for our foundation to be strong and that every day of our lives that we walk on this side of heaven, God, that our faith would not be wavering. Father, we love you. We thank you. I'm thankful for our church. So thankful for your presence here. And Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.